Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, a big picture look at Canada's energy sector and the environmental activists seeking to undermine it. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. As you've noticed throughout this month, we've been doing a, a bit of a bigger picture look at some of the big issues that we've covered in the past year that are certain to rear themselves again in the year ahead. And, and one big one is the energy sector. We've had a lot of instability in this sector on a number of projects. We had the report from Alberta about the influence of environmental NGOs on the pipeline process and other energy development projects in Canada. And in the year ahead, we have a number of these projects that are still very much uh, relevant and pertinent to Canadians. And I thought it would be good to take a, a bigger picture look at what some of these issues are, and also one of the big players in trying to expose and really tell the story of this sector and that is the Canadian Energy News Network a fantastic resource if you haven't checked it out you certainly should and definitely subscribe to their newsletter and at the helm of that is Cody Siona who joins me now Cody good to talk to you again thanks for coming on today yeah thanks Andrew it's uh, it's good to be here this morning I don't know what it's like uh, where you are but it's uh, starting to snow here in Alberta so well, I think that's like a regular occurrence out there, but uh, nevertheless, we survive. For those not familiar with it, what is the Canadian Energy News Network? Uh, so the Canadian Energy News Network is kind of like a rapid response research center. So what we attempt to do is we like to provide counterpoints to some of the attacks on industry. Uh, we like to provide some research. We have studies, um, articles, anything you kind of need. We have graphics, videos uh, to help support uh, kind of our industry's voice. One of the big challenges is that that voice just simply isn't being heard in a lot of mainstream media coverage. And I know that this is something that might sound like an obvious point to a lot of our listeners, but to the general population, I don't know if they necessarily know that. And it's really pertinent, I think, when you're talking about the environmental questions, the stuff that the energy sector is doing isn't really heard, and also a lot of the other two sides of the story sort of thing. We only hear one side of it. Yeah, no, and that's that's very true. And uh, it's, you know, um, the energy industry is kind of painted right now as like nobody really trusts them. And I don't think really many people really trust many media organizations right now either. So I don't know if I'm not sure if them actually being in more mainstream media uh, outlets, I don't know if that would actually do much to help with that reputation. Because, you know, you talk about, you know, the the Angles have done very good at this. They've been able to paint the industry as, you know, big, evil, big corporations, big money. And it's really hard to shirk that kind of identity, especially once it's been, you know, it's been circulating here in Canada for at least the last three years, if not more. So. You, you raise a valid point there. There's a lot of baggage that is brought to some of these discussions. So for your job, as far as someone who's trying to uh, right this wrong and someone who's trying to tell the other story, what do you find are the biggest sticking points? What do you find are the, those biggest points of resistance you have to confront? Are you talking about uh, some more or less the, the attacks on the industry or uh, resistance to, um, you know, learning about the positives of the industry. Sorry, I just need to... Well, I think both. I, I mean, you're countering the negative, but also countering people that just don't know what the positives are or even that they're out there. Oh, God. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, for me being in, in the industry, it's kind of, you know, it kind of just comes to me, but 
you know, people still have this perception that there's pipelines tearing up northern Alberta. They still think that the oil sands are, you know, this big, massive blight on the on the environment. And that's just simply not the truth. Of course, there's impacts, but there's impacts for all types of energy, whether it's wind or, you know, traditional fuels. Um, so people still don't understand, like, the difference in impacts or the um, the actual impacts that happen, which aren't actually as bad as the Anglo say they are, which um, is huge because they think, you know, for example, you know, Northern Alberta just looks like, you know, looks like something out of Middle Earth, uh, when in fact, the oil sands have only disturbed, I think it's, and I might be wrong on this one, but 0.03% of the boreal forest in Canada, which is, you know, we have, Canada's massive, so it's, it's not really that big of an impact compared to the say actual cities. So, yeah. And you mentioned earlier the impacts on, on wind. I mean, you look at some of these reports and I don't have the numbers handy, but just the environmental impact of some of these solar panel factories in China and some of the mining operations that are, are involved in, in getting the products necessary for, for solar. And, it, and it's not about what about ism, because ultimately, if, if we say there's a problem and we need to fix it, it doesn't matter who's causing it. But it is speaking to that idea that people are only interested in scapegoating one particular sector. And in Canada, that's the oil and gas sector, by and large. Yeah, and it is. And it's, uh, you know, if there's a solution and someone has a better solution than what the oil and gas industry is doing, by all means, we need solutions. We, if we can acknowledge that there's, you know, human populations growing and there's going to be more consumption, we need to find a solution to that. And if that's wind or if that's carbon capture or, or whatever, we need to acknowledge that there's something, but we can't jeopardize the benefits of one energy source to only highlight the benefits of another one. So, Let's talk a little bit about the ENGO factor, because I know this was something that came out in that Alberta report, which a lot of people kind of mocked the idea of the report, I noticed, when when they started doing the investigation. They sort of just rolled their eyes and, and thought that it was just, I don't know, this right-wing fantasy project of some kind. But the reality is we are looking at a pretty significant volume of groups that are very well funded that really just seem to not be interested in creating or finding solutions, but just destabilizing this sector. Yeah, it is true. I know there was, you know, there was a lot of heat around the conclusions. Um, one of the conclusions ones, like there was foreign funding coming in, but they couldn't really tell how much because of the nature of it. Um, you can grant and re-grant and all of a sudden the money goes from one source to, you know, 20 sources. So it's actually fairly hard to track it and do an actual forensic accounting, which I know the mandate of the actual report changed a little bit throughout the, the two years or two or so odd years. But uh, they still found $1.28 billion in funding coming in, not necessarily to attack you know, Alberta oil, but there's still quite a large amount of money coming in from foreign sources. And that's just the stuff that they could track. I mean, they think it's much larger, which I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think you are getting $1 billion of funding every year, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> if I was getting $1 billion of funding every year, <laughs> I feel like uh, we'd be a lot more in the mainstream and be able to uh, better better affect, advocate for the industry. Yeah, you might not be wasting your time talking to me. But but uh, but again, <laughs> the serious point of that is is how do you and, and people like you who have a fraction of that money go up against that Goliath? Um. It's uh, it's difficult sometimes. You know, there's there's a, there is this perception that advocacy is a little bit siloed, but I think 
now we're starting to break down those silos between the different advocacy organizations because there's there's hundreds of them, hundreds of groups on our side that are trying to promote positive message about the oil and gas industry and the necess- necessity of it for, for Canada and the economy. But I, I think, again, it's just one of those, you know, people hear, oh, you're advocating for the oil and gas industry. You must be, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, super heavily funded by them, AstroTurf, you know, any number of accusations get thrown at us where I think the environmental movement still has that. Um, weird term but that angelic idea about them that they're you know trying to take uh trying to promote what's best for canada when sometimes maybe what's best for their ideology or their you know funders well that that's a a really important point because i do think that one of the cultural problems here is that in a lot of cases the climate change alarmist position or the environmental activist position has kind of become presented as the neutral position and everything outside of that is uh, radical so you know if you yeah. think yeah you know oil sands are bad that's the basic starting point and then when you come in and say actually maybe they're not you you're the guy that looks crazy to them so there is a, a cultural aspect here and I, I know your pessimism in the mainstream media earlier I don't think is is necessarily misplaced but but there is a challenge of, of an idea that is, in many cases, radical, having become so mainstreamed. Yeah, I mean, we saw that the other week with uh, David Suzuki's comments. I mean, I mean, he's torn apart a little bit in the media, which is which is good. We need to highlight that. But it's not surprising that he said it. That's the thing. The people he hangs out with. That's a very you know, valid idea. They're moving. They're moving the window, the Overton window of, oh, you know sure, oil sands are bad, that's the starting point. But now they're moving it to the point where you can say pipelines will be blown up and people are like, oh yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, they've been doing all this other stuff, you know, blockades and all that. It's not a big jump in their minds that they're going to start bombing pipelines. I'm not saying they're going to, but it's it's legitimizing that language that is kind of shifting everything around, much like they've shifted the goalposts for, you know, emissions and all that and other you know, technology that the industry is actually trying to implement. So, yeah, and I uh, I spoke a few weeks ago on the show, maybe a couple of months ago, with with some innovators and entrepreneurs that are doing a lot. Uh, most of them in Alberta, I think. Actually, I think all of them them were in Alberta uh, that are doing a lot of work to recycle carbon and to try to find ways to uh, make it into something positive, taking it out of the environment. All these things that government should be celebrating. But the theme was that the government isn't really interested as much in those solutions. The the government has taken a very very narrow view, which happens to align in a lot of cases with what a lot of these these activist NGOs are pushing. Yeah, there's a lot of reflection in that, and you know, it, it's I'm hesitant to say that it comes from the environmentalists that are in already in the bureaucracy. I mean, look at our new environment minister Stephen Gilbo. I mean, he's he's he founded Equitary, he was Greenpeace. He, you know, it's. There's a lot more, I guess, communication on that front between the previous higher-ups and the environmental movement and the government. I'm not saying that's officially what it is, but, I mean, it's not not hard to see where some of the policy comes from. Um, back in, God, it would have been January or February of this year, that I had a piece in the uh, Financial Post about um, the uh, net zero bill, and it was pretty much... Uh, ripped off right from a, I think it was an environmental defense document and a couple other angles. Um, 
it pretty much reflected the same the same writing so i had a piece about that but um definitely they're definitely more willing to listen to that side i would say than industry but um i think they're starting to kind of get the idea a little bit i mean stephen gilbo is here or sorry minister gilbo was here last friday talking with some ceos i'm not sure how it went but um i think if they're not thinking about it they're thinking about the idea of it which could be bad or good yeah and when we talked earlier about the mainstreaming of you know what are ostensibly radical propositions i, I have to mention because i didn't get a chance to cover it when it happened this uh thing and you wrote about i think actually i might have learned about it from you the alberta ndp youth association had adopted a motion, and I just want to make sure I get it right here, supporting blockades of coastal gas link. And they said there's no indigenous consent, which in and of itself isn't true. But this this is, again, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, well, you know, youth association for a political party, who cares? But the NDP is the most viable alternative to the UCP in Alberta. So you've got within the Alberta NDP a sentiment that things, yeah, blockading oil and gas is fine. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh, they had, they've always had a little bit of that before they, you know, before uh, Rachel Nolly became premier back in 2015. Um, obviously, yeah, that, I mean, you'd think that being within arm's reach of government would, would make them smart enough, yeah, but I guess not. And I don't know if that was just, you know, a logistical mess up or if that was, like, I'm not sure if it came down directly from the, the head of the party. I, I'm not sure. I'm not going to make any, any assumptions on that, but it's, uh, it's concerning when a, a mainstream political party that might be might potentially be the next political party in charge of Alberta when they're um, they don't understand necessarily the energy issues at hand or are ignoring them. Yeah, so I guess if we take the bigger picture look at this, where do we go from here? Where is it that you feel the discussion needs to be for uh, people that think what you and I think about this to start perhaps feeling a little bit less like or on defense? I really think, and this is you know unfortunate, but I think we need to highlight some of the energy crisis going on in Europe. I know a lot of the groups have been, but I don't think it's really been highlighted in the mainstream. Sure, we see gas prices are going up, and we saw the concern about Line 5, but I don't think people quite understand that, oh yeah, if something like Line 5 went down, that's most of the gasoline for you know Toronto International Airport, or that's most of the oil that goes to the refineries southern quebec and, and ontario i don't think people really understand that and it's there's no silver bullet <laughs> so it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of repeating messages a lot of amplification a lot of getting other groups like canadian energy news network or, or whoever that are in the pro resource pro pro oil and gas kind of advocacy space uh to really keep hitting home and get boots on the ground because you can you can lead a horse to water but you can't necessarily get it to drink it <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're right. And, and I mean, a lot of the time people tend to, and, and this is, I, I realize, a political statement, but people tend to put a lot of emphasis on who's in power. And, and I'm not as convinced that that's as relevant here. I mean, sure, we can talk about the federal government uh, and its attack on the oil and gas sector, but, you know, perhaps there could be a more oil and gas friendly federal government and then the provincial government in Alberta is not in alignment and whatever. I mean, my, my general approach to this is that the industry has to exist no matter what. And I, I know it, generally speaking, does have to adapt and, and does adapt quite effectively, but you, you have to find a way to work, to, to swim upstream, basically because that's the only option yeah and i mean we like to we like to say that uh you know 
the people affect the policy and and we do like that's that's the point of lobbying and advocacy you get inside you know mps mla's ears and you tell them about your issues but i i think that necessarily hasn't aside from the last probably five to ten years i don't think that was necessarily the biggest issue that the industry was dealing with i think they're you know keep keep our heads down keep working there's no way we're gonna you know be targeted and there's no way we're gonna we're gonna you know get you know cut off by the government there's no way they're not gonna like support you know the natural resource industry but um, yeah well there was, there was a bit i don't know if naivete is the right word but perhaps misplaced optimism maybe misplaced optimism and and again that obviously goes to you gotta you know you gotta deal with the government that you have at hand whether it's pro resource or maybe not as pro resource as maybe some of the industry would like it to be um so you gotta kind of play play ball and I mean, sometimes, sometimes they're just on the bench straight up with um, political or policy issues. Sometimes they're just not even in the room, which isn't necessarily on them. That's kind of just how the government, it seems, does it. They kind of, you know, shake a hand and then, okay, we're, we're not going to have you in the room. That's just my perception of it. And that's, uh, you know, it's a big issue because as much as, you know, it could be a communication thing, which the, the industry has been trying to work on the communication for for years, it really does come down to the brass tacks of also lobbying too, and getting not just civil society on board, but um, you know officials on board too, the bureaucracy on board for the ideas of you know carbon capture or you know carbon recycling and stuff like that. So, so, so looking into 2022, would you say you're optimistic, pessimistic, or still oscillating between the two, perhaps? I'd say I'm pretty optimistic, actually. I think the industry is starting to see you know a turnaround. A little bit i think more and more people are starting to realize that you know it's necessary when you can't just you know get rid of it overnight because quite frankly that would cause quite a quite a bit of issues um not just for alberta but uh for you know energy security in general in canada we just uh, we don't have the infrastructure set up to immediately go to zero emissions or full solar or wind or whatever that may look like in an energy context um so i think with you know groups like Canadian Energy News Network and groups like Resource Works out in BC, you know Canada's energy citizens with CAP, and I think once we get those voices a bit more amplified, because I think they are starting to get more amplified, I think uh, people start understanding the importance of the industry. So. Sounds good. Well, the Canadian Energy News Network, always a great place. And I, I do uh, liberally take some content for the show from there and uh, make sure to keep up on the newsletter. And I would encourage listeners and viewers to do the same. Cody Siona, thanks so much and Happy New Year to you. Yes, thanks, Andrew. Much appreciated. That was Cody Siona of the Canadian Energy News Network. Like I said, a bigger picture look at uh, some of the major themes and challenges in the energy sector. And I, I know we often use... Just as a general thing, I, I should mention this. We often use Alberta and oil and gas in a synonymous fashion, which isn't entirely true. And, and a lot of the uh, people in British Columbia, for example, who are so hellbent on destroying the oil and gas sector, forget how pivotal oil and gas is in BC to the BC economy. Although it tends to be Vancouver activists and Vancouver is not where a lot of the oil and gas workers are. But Saskatchewan, same sort of thing, a very resource-rich province. So it isn't just Alberta. Alberta. And the one point I think broadly is that energy prosperity in Canada results in prosperity Canada-wide. And that's why pipelines are national projects, because they benefit everyone, 
in, in, in getting access to Canadian energy and reducing dependence on foreign oil. So I do think it's important to talk about these issues and we'll certainly continue to in the year ahead. My thanks to Cody and also to all of you for tuning in. This is our last show of the year. We will be back next week with brand new, fresh 2022 content for The Andrew Lawton Show. Hope you had a great time with our shows in 2021. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, God bless, and Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.